0: Well, hey, uh, we started a series last weekend called Life on Purpose, and uh, I want to give you the second installment of that this morning. Uh, if you weren't here, we talked a little bit about how we discover our unique God given purpose on this planet. Uh, it's something that I think has become overcomplicated in our culture, and people spend a lot of time and a lot of money trying to figure out why am I on this planet? Why am I breathing? What am I supposed to do with my life? Uh, but it does not have to be a complicated thing. And we talked a little bit about that last week. Check out the sermon. If if you weren't there, tfh.church, uh, click on the videos tab. Um, but today, I want to I continue that conversation a little bit, and I want to talk about the fact that it isn't just a process of discovering our purpose, but there is something we each have to do in order to walk that purpose out, to walk out the unique call, the unique gift that is on our life. Because knowing is really only half the battle, as the great prophet G.I. Joe said, discovery is, is only half of it. We actually have to do something about it. We actually have to walk this thing out. I know a lot of people, and you probably do too, who are aware of what they should be doing with their life, come on, but they're not doing it. (laughs) Many people who, maybe as teenagers or maybe even as young adults, they went to a conference, went to a gathering, they heard from God, they they know what God has has purposed them to do, but they're not living out the fullness of that purpose. In fact, I think that probably describes many believers in the body of Christ. And, And the reason for that is there is a price to pay for purpose. It is a costly thing to live for the high call of God. For those of you that are are living it out today, you know it has cost you some things to get here. May have cost you some relationships, may have cost you some sleep, may have cost you some of your own dreams and your own pursuits and what you saw happening in your future, may have cost you some comforts, may have cost you some money. It, it, It costs to live for the high call of God. But the price for purpose is always worth it. When you're living in the fullness of everything God has for you, nothing else compares. You don't look back at the road that you had to take to get there. I guarantee when the Olympian is standing on that center podium with a gold medal strapped around, their, or strapped around their neck, they're not thinking about all the training and how hard it was and how difficult it was to get there. All of it was worth it for that moment. And I think when we are living in the fullness of what God has for us, we, we have this attitude that, man, whatever it took to get here was worth it. Amen? Amen. So I want to talk a little bit about that this morning. And uh, I'm going to give this sermon a title. If you're taking notes, you can write this down. I want to call this a house of crystal, a house of crystal. And uh, I'll pray and then we'll get into the Bible here. Jesus, we love you this morning. We thank you for your word. Thank you for your presence. Thank you for the lack of technical difficulties. Thank you for Boogie Cousins. Thank you for Manny Pacquiao. And Jesus, thank you for your people that are here today. Uh, We gathered in your house not to hear somebody yap at us, not to sing karaoke on a screen, but we gathered here because we believe that your presence and your word can change us from the inside out. And so Father, over these next few moments, I pray that whether it's a scripture or a thought that's shared or whatever it might be, by your Holy Spirit, that you would, you would unlock some things in our hearts, that you would inspire us to live for the high call, the thing that you have purposed us to do, and that we'd leave this place different than when we walked in. In Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. amen. Uh, if you have a Bible, open it up to the book of 2 Timothy, uh, chapter 2, verse 20. And if you don't have one, fear not. We'll put it on the screen here. Uh, it says this, in a large house... There are articles of not not only gold and silver, but also of wood and clay. Some are for honorable purposes, and some are for dishonorable purposes. If you keep yourself pure, you will be a special utensil for honorable use. Your life will be clean, and you'll be ready for the master, ready for God to use you for every good work." There's honorable purposes. There's dishonorable purposes. If you keep yourself pure, you're going to be a special utensil reserved for God to do something great with you. Um, I love the books of First and Second Timothy. They're probably among my top five favorite books to read in the Bible. And, and the reason for that isn't just because it's named after me. Um, but no, that's not true. <laughs> uh, wow, that's really weird. Did you know you were that old? Uh, no, I, I love these books because I can resonate with The guy whom Paul is writing to. I can resonate with Timothy. His life uh, seems to share some similarities with me. Uh, From what we know in scripture, uh, Timothy was not raised in a pastor's home. His parents were not uh, pastoring a church. Uh, He didn't even necessarily grow up in ministry. Um, But one day, the Apostle Paul comes to Timothy and he says, hey, I feel like there's something on your life. There's a call of God on your life. And I know that you haven't trained to get here. You didn't prepare yourself for this moment. But you know what? God's Still called you, and whether you're ready for it or not, I want to release you into the call of God, the purpose for your life. Timothy is one of those guys in scripture that, that proves out this thought, and you've probably heard this in church before, that God doesn't call the qualified, but he qualifies the called. That, that it doesn't matter what our background is, or our pedigree, or what family we were born into, that God calls us uniquely, apart from all of that, apart from all of that, to do something great with our lives. And I have great parents. I mean, honestly, uh, not to brag, but they're probably better than yours. And uh, (laughs) they raised me in a godly home, and they did a lot of ministry. But my parents did not pastor a church. Uh, they, they, they didn't do what we're doing right now. Uh, they did their best to raise me up in the house of God. And I made a lot of dumb decisions along the way. Uh, but one day, despite never training for it, despite never aspiring to be a pastor, as I shared last week, my pastor came to me and laid hands on me and he said, hey, there's a call in your life that you don't see, and you haven't trained for this, you haven't prepped for this, but it doesn't matter. God has called you, and I want to speak, I want to prophesy into the purpose of God for your life. And I was released into something that I didn't school for, that I didn't prepare for. Suddenly I was thrown into ministry. You know, this guy, Timothy, he found himself in charge at a young age of a church of 10,000 people in Ephesus. And he never prepared for that. And in many ways, I feel like, man, I've done my best to study and prepare. But, you know, I'm not prepared for the fullness of what God has for me. But at the end of the day, thank God, he doesn't just call those who are already qualified to do what, you know, he's called them to do. He he qualifies us along the way. And so Paul comes to Timothy and he says, hey, there's this call in your life. There's this call to ministry. But I'm going to write a couple of letters to you to help you out along the way and, and share with you what life is supposed to look like if you're going to live for this high call. And I remember reading these books as a young leader and just devouring the content of First and 2 Timothy, and these two scriptures popped off the page. Have you ever been reading the Bible like that, and they slap you around a little bit, and it's like, this is for you. I felt like I was standing there as Timothy was reading a letter from Paul, and it was like he was speaking directly to me, because as I read this scripture, here's the thought that popped into my mind, popped into my heart, and honestly, this has been the theme of my life for the last 13 years in ministry. I get to choose how much God uses me. I get to choose the level of effectiveness my life brings to this planet. I get to choose how much God uses. Now, that might sound really far-fetched. Like, hold on. Like, we're just humans. He's God. He's going to do whatever he wants to do. Like, what do you mean we get to pick how much God uses us? Well, according to this scripture, and according to this theme, which you'll find in scripture, th- there is something we can do to prepare ourselves for God to use us in what he calls an honorable way, a powerful way, an influential way, and it's tied to our purity. The Apostle Paul says to Timothy, if you keep yourself pure, you will be reserved for the master to use you for every good Work. Let me say it like this since we're talking about the price. The price of purpose is purity. The price of living for the high call of God for that unique purpose on your life is purity. I live with this awareness, and I think it's a a healthy place to live, and feel free to borrow this if you'd like. But but I live with an awareness every single day in my life that one day I am going to stand in front of Jesus. And I'm going to be judged for the life that I've lived here on earth. I'm going to give an account for every decision and every indecision, everything that I obeyed and everything I disobeyed. I'm I'm going to give an account for all the gifts he's given to me and all the resources he's entrusted to me. I'm going to say, this is what I did with my life. And the last thing I want to do as I'm standing there before Jesus in heaven is to see the DVD of what could have been if I had been more surrendered, if I had been more obedient, if I had said no to some of the things of this earth and said yes to the call of God on my life. I don't want to see what opportunities I could have missed if I had just been a little bit more of who he called me to be. I want to live my life in such a way where everything I do is focused on the fact that I'm going to give an account to my Savior one day in heaven. And so scriptures like this, they, they, they instill a healthy level of fear in me to go, man, I, I get to choose how much of what God has for me I lay hold of. I get to choose how much of my call I walk into, and it is all tied to my purity. I, I, there's a, a quote from this guy, David Guzik. He's a theologian that I read often, but, but, but I love this. He says, we must never think that some Christians are better than others or that some have passed into a place where they are super spiritual. However, we must also realize that some Christians are more able to be used by God than others because they have cleansed themselves and made themselves more usable to God. There, there are, there's no pecking order in the kingdom. We're all God's children, but some might be more surrendered than others. So, so this idea of purity is clearly something that's very important to God. And if it's really important to God, then I think we should probably spend a couple of moments and talk about it here this morning. Because I don't know about you, but if that's the price, I want to understand what price I have to pay to live out the purpose for my life. So, so what is purity? Because when I, when I say purity in a church setting, what's the first thing that comes to everybody's mind? I was going to say water, but I mean, that's cool, you know. You guys are filthy. No, it's sex, okay? <laughs> sex, yeah, that's, that's immediately where our minds go, sexual purity. And while that subject is embodied in the concept of purity, it is, it is not an all-inclusive thing. It's not all about sex. In fact, if you were to go to the Bible and look up this Greek word for purity, it is the word kataras in the Greek. Someone say kataras. I know it sounds like a Mexican side dish, but it's Greek, okay? It's like, got some beans, and some rice, and some kataras. It's gonna be great. (laughs) Kataras. I'm sorry. I'm sick of that. Uh, Here's what it means by definition, in the Greek, it means without mixture. Without mixture. It means that if you were to examine my life and you were to dissect the decisions that I make, the entertainment I watch, the music I listen to, the way I spend my money, my pursuits for the future, if you were to look at every aspect of my life, there is not a hint of mixture with the ways of this world. God's word is my standard, and I'm purely living for that. I am without mixture. Let me help you understand this a little bit. Um, uh, I'm a, I'm a I'm a chocolate guy. I've made that no secret here. Okay, like I like desserts, and at the top of the list of desserts is chocolate. Can I get a witness? Is there anybody else here with me? Okay, good. I'm in the right church. Hallelujah. Um, if I invite you to my house for dinner, please don't bring a fruit pie for dessert. That is in a separate food group, or a carrot cake. That's a dessert. Okay, so we're going with with chocolate. That that is that is the the echelon of dessert, and uh, I like a lot of chocolate things. I like dark chocolate candy bars. Um, I like chocolate chip cookies. Uh, I like seven layer chocolate cake. That's kind of, kind of my jam. Um, but I think like near the top of the list, it's gotta be like a hot brownie fresh out of the oven. It's a little bit of ice cream on top. Maybe some chocolate sauce drizzled on top of that. Come on, somebody. Hallelujah. Yeah. Yeah. That's the Lord. Anyone else just really affectionate for brownies here today? I borrow you, Brenda? Brenda, come up on the stage for me real quick, okay? Now, okay, so I brought some brownies with me here this morning. These are um, hold on. These are, these are gluten-free, so they're like it's basically like a protein bar, okay? It's healthy for you. Okay, well, let's put it aside. Okay, whatever. Okay, they're gluten-free brownies. And I baked these for you last night. I knew you'd be here. <laughs> like, this moment was in my, in my spirit. And um, I looked at the ingredients on the side of the brownie chip mix here, and uh, I felt like it was missing something, you know? Like, it looked semi-complete, but I'm like, I feel like I need to add a little pizzazz to, to the brownies. Um, so my wife and I, we live uh, across the street from this walking path. And, uh, often people are walking their dogs uh, along this path. And as they walk their dogs along this path, some people are responsible and they bring the little plastic bags with them, but others are not. Um, often I've yelled from my window at the people who refuse to pick up after their dogs, like, hey, you gonna do something with that? And then they, they do. Um, but inevitably, some of it gets left behind. So, so last night, as I was making the brownies, I went across the street, and I, I just took... Um, just just a, a sliver, uh, a dollop, a skosh. I don't know what the appropriate measurement term is, but um, I took a little bit of what a, a puppy there had left behind and I mixed it in with the brownies, okay? Just, I mean, it's not much. It's just a little bit. And I baked them and I quickly threw away the tin because my wife wouldn't let me keep it and wash it out. Um, but I brought it here for you this morning. So knowing what you know now about this brownie, Before God and everybody in this room, would you be interested in eating this? I don't want to be rude, but like... I don't want to be rude, but... Because there's poop in it. That's why. Okay, yeah. Yeah, see, it really doesn't matter that there was only a little bit inside the mixture. The second a little bit of impurity made its way into the brownie mix suddenly the brownie isn't capable of being used for its intended purpose. The brownie had a purpose. The purpose was for it to be eaten, and yet the moment impurity made its way into the brownie, it could no longer accomplish what it was created to do. Now, I lied. There's no poop in the brownie. You can take this back to your seat, and you can eat it. Okay, enjoy yourself. Give it up for Brenda. Now, I mean, I had the ingredient list, right? Like, I knew what belonged in there. But, but I chose to allow a foreign agent to make its way into the brownies and thus limiting their effectiveness. In fact, you could say rendering them completely useless. Come on, this is going to hurt a little bit, but this is the truth. If it's true for a brownie, it's true for us. <laughs> Impurity doesn't just make us a little less desirable to the kingdom of God. It doesn't just make us a little less effective as Christians. Impurity has the ability to render us useless for our intended purpose. In fact, let's let's belabor this for just a little bit longer. It doesn't matter that it was just a little bit of impurity. Even the smallest amount of impurity accomplishes the same thing. It ruins the whole batch. And yet there's so many people that go, well, it's not that big a deal. It's just, it's just a little lie. It's just a, a little bit of messing around with my girlfriend or with my boyfriend. It's just a small alcohol addiction. It's just a little problem. It's just... And we begin to make these excuses to negotiate around the fact that, well, you know, we live on this planet and it's not that big a deal. Surely, you know, in His grace, God's just going to accept all of it. Hey, listen. The Bible says we are called to be holy as He is holy. Paul admonishes us to live a life worthy of the calling that has been placed upon us. This is not a game where we get to negotiate and try to figure out how much can I get away with and still be a Christian. No, we should be saying, God, how much more can I give to you? How much more of myself can I surrender to you? I don't want there to be a hint of impurity in my life. I want to be used by you. The, yeah. <laughs> Listen, let's, let's not expect God to accept something in us that we wouldn't even accept in our own human nature. Like, you're not going to walk into a restaurant and some waiter tell you, well, you know, there's just a little poop in the brownie. You're like, fine, bring it on. Like, we wouldn't tolerate that. Nobody is storming the grocery store for mostly pure water. 99% pure, 1% sewage. Enjoy. That's not going to sell. If you're a single person here today waiting to get married, you're not hoping for a mostly pure spouse, okay? You know, she's good six days a week. Wednesday should get a little sketchy, but, you know, we're going to work it out. It's fine. Like, no, you want all of it. So why do we hand our lives over to God like, this should be good enough? We can can tolerate a little bit of impurity. No, listen. If we're going to live for the high call of God, if we're going to pursue his purpose for us, there should be a zero tolerance policy for impurity in our life. Because, listen. And write this down if you're taking notes. What you tolerate will ultimately dominate. What you tolerate today will ultimately dominate your tomorrow. Most of us in the room, if you're familiar with the the, the Bible and you've read it a few times, Uh, there's a story in the Old Testament of the Israelites. I won't give you the exhaustive version, but God's people are in slavery for 400 years and by Moses. He delivers them out of the hand of Pharaoh, and he brings them out into what he's going to call a promised land for them. He's like, I got good plans for you. I got this promised land. It's flowing with milk and honey, and you're not going to be a slave anymore. You're going to be free, and I'm going to give you the nations. It's going to be great. So the Israelites, they, they exit uh, Egypt, and uh, while they're in the desert, they begin to complain against God, and They sin time and time again, and finally God's like, fine, if you guys don't want this plan, this purpose I've got for you, then go ahead. You can wander around in the desert for 40 years, and they do, and an entire generation of people dies off, but then Joshua, a new leader, a man of faith with his friend Caleb, they go into this promised land, and they come back, and they say, hey, this is a good land, and the giants, yeah, they might be big, but our God is bigger, and he's called us to this place. There's a purpose for our generation, and we're going to lay hold of that purpose, And so Joshua and his generation, they once again get to live out this promise, this purpose that God had for the Israelites all along. But just before they enter into this land, uh, God begins to give them some instructions in Deuteronomy chapter seven. And he says this, uh, when the Lord your God brings you into the land you're about to enter and occupy, he will clear away many nations ahead of you. The Hittites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. God was rapping back in the Bible. It was awesome. These seven nations, are greater and more numerous than you. When the Lord your God hands these nations over to you and you conquer them, you must, ready, completely destroy them. Make no treaties with them. Don't show them any mercy. You must not intermarry. You must not intermix. You must not pollute yourselves with them. Don't let your daughters and sons marry their sons and daughters, for they will lead your children away from me to worship other gods. Here's what God says. He says, hey, I got a plan, I got a purpose, and it's great. But here are the rules of engagement. When I bring you into that purpose, you cannot intermarry. You can't allow impurity in the mixture of your lives. You need to be without. You need to to get rid of all the enemies, get rid of all the ites. Don't make any treaties with them. Show them no mercy. Completely destroy them because I'm looking for a pure generation to take hold of what I have for them. And you know the story, many of you. They walked in, and for a season, they did exactly what God called them to do. They rid the land of the enemies. They, they, they killed off all the livestock, even. I mean, they just they showed no mercy to the ites in the land. But then one day, one of the soldiers looks at another soldier, and he says, hey, have you noticed that, um, that we're killing a lot of really good-looking ladies? This is my paraphrase, but he says, Yeah, there's some there's some hotties and we're getting rid of them. It's really terrible. He's like, what if what if we kept the pretty ones and just we can kill the rest of them? His buddy's like, Yeah, it's kind of a good idea. Let's let's talk to the boss. Hey boss, you notice that we're we're killing all these really beautiful women? What if we what if we just let a little bit? Stay behind. What if we just keep these ones and, and we'll kill everybody else off. We'll be mostly obedient to what God has asked us to do. And, and so they do. They keep a few of the pretty ones. And then they let everybody else die. And then they keep a few more. And soon after a while, this nation that was supposed to be set apart for God finds themselves mixed up with the ites. And you know What happens? the very thing that God told them would happen. As they intermarried, their hearts began to turn away from God and turned toward the gods of the other nations. And before long, the very people that God had delivered from bondage and brought into a land of promise found themselves back in bondage again to the hand of the Babylonians. Why? Because they allowed some mixture. Because of impurity. But God was clear. He said, show no mercy to your enemies. Don't make any treaties with them. You know what a treaty is, right? A treaty is an agreement where two enemies who should be fighting each other decide to live at peace instead. Let me ask you this morning a confronting question. Are there things in your life that you have made treaties with that you should be fighting against? Are there impurities in your life that we should be ridding ourselves of that we have simply allowed to remain, not realizing that there is a cost attached to their presence? And that cost is your very purpose. And listen, you may not have Amorites or Girgashites or Canaanites or Perizzites in your life, but you have some ites, you have some appetites, you have some websites. You have some bud lights. You have some pants that are too tight. You have some cat fights. You have some ites in your life. Come on, somebody. There might be some enemies in your life that you've made treaties with that you need to be aggressively opposed to, saying, this does not belong here any longer. I'm not willing to live another day outside of the purpose of God for me. I'm getting rid of the enemy so that I can live for the promise. The price for our purpose is purity. It's purity. Now, if I leave us here and we end the sermon... Everything I've talked about for the last 20 minutes is going to sound hyper religious, striving to get God to accept us, and honestly, anti gospel. Yes, there is truth to everything we just spoke about today. Paul was a New Testament voice. This is post Jesus. And he's still saying, hey, we got to purify ourselves. But but I don't want us to get into this dead religious rut where we're trying to get God to approve of us so that we can do something for him. The definition of dead religion is trying to appease God with our own actions apart from his grace. And all of this is by grace. We're saved by grace. Like, they didn't earn any of this. So I would be remiss if I did not give a grace disclaimer for everything that we just discussed, and that is this. When it comes to purity, here's what you need to remember. Purity is not an event. Purity is a process. Purity is a process. I love that the Apostle Paul, when he writes this letter to Timothy, he describes the vessels in this house as gold and silver. Because gold and silver are metals That require a purification process, a refining before they can be used. Like if you're digging in the ground in those days, you didn't all of a sudden happen upon this beautiful gold vessel that you set up in your house. It's like, dink, oh look at that, it's a jar. Like, no, you, you, you would you'd find this dirty clod of something that was metallic and you'd have to go about the process of removing all the impurities from that before it could be used for a noble purpose. And the Bible describes the refining process as something that all of us are going through. This is is not just for precious metals. This is our lives. We are being refined. We are being purified. And the way a refiner Would go about the process of purifying gold or silver was he'd put it in cast iron, he would apply heat to it, and as the metal heated up, the impurities would begin to surface to the top, called dross, and the 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 refiner would remove the dross, and then he'd start the process all over again. And he'd do it again and again and again until all of the impurities were removed. And you know how he knew that the, the metal was ready for use? The way The way that refiner knew it was pure enough to be used for its purpose was when he could stare into that metal and see his reflection. Come on, this is the heart of God for every single one of us. When we draw near to him, he doesn't begin to call out things in our life to shame us, to say, how dare you still do that? You said you loved me. To, to make us feel like we need to aspire to something greater before he's willing to approve of us? No. It's because he's longing to see his own reflection in our lives. He wants to see himself. He wants us to reflect himself in our world. And he has a purpose that he wants to release us into. So listen, when the Holy Spirit begins to awaken things in your heart, as maybe he has today, and he says, "Hey, son, daughter, sis, it's time to get rid of this thing. It's time to stop going down that road. We may need to talk about this relationship you're involved in right now." Hey, those pursuits, they're great, but they're your parents' plans and not my plans for your life. It's not because he's angry, and it's not because he's disappointed, and it's not because he's judging. It's because he wants to remove everything that isn't him from the mix so that he can see himself in you so that he can release you into the fullness of what he has for your life purity is a process and we're all in it back to what Guzik said there's no better person than anybody else there's just people that are a little further along in the process our job is to simply be faithful to say yes God I'll take care of that. Again, not to appease him, but because we want to be close to him. Now, back to the title. Uh, Band, you guys can come. Back to the title A House of Crystal. A House of Crystal. Paul says that in in a great big house, in this, this amazing home, there are two different kinds of vessels. There are those that are used for, one translation says, noble or ignoble purposes, for honorable or dishonorable purposes. And that our purity allows us to determine which one of those vessels we're going to be. Um, In my home, I have a lot of different vessels. Um, Like most homes, I've got one of these. And and this isn't used for a very noble purpose. (laughs) Uh, Usually, there's a problem when this thing has to come out. Um, I also have some of these. Now, this is a uh, Tiffany crystal champagne glass that my parents used at their wedding, and uh, they gave it to my wife and I uh, to use for ours. Actually, they gave us two. Um, I don't know what happened to the other one, Robin. But let's pretend for a moment that you came to my house tonight for dinner, and I said, hey, um, we're gonna make all the food. It's gonna be great. Just bring us a nice bottle of champagne to drink. Now that might offend some of you, but just follow the illustration, okay? And you show up, and you bring a bottle of Dom Perignon, an amazing bottle of champagne that costs you way more than it should have. I probably would not go down into my basement and grab my plunger and put a straw in it and pour the champagne into this vessel and say, all right, bottoms up. That's a really bad way to say that with a plunger. Anyway, (laughs) that just happened in my head there. Why? Because the value of the contents warrants a worthy vessel no, if you brought something valuable to my home, I would likely go find a valuable vessel that was worthy to carry it before I served it. The Bible says that the eyes of God are searching to and fro across this planet, looking for those whose hearts are fully surrendered to him. I have to believe in this season for San Francisco that the eyes of God are searching to and fro across our city, and he is looking for places to pour out his spirit, to pour out his influence, to pour out miracles, to do something historic in nature. But we cannot hold up unworthy vessels to carry the valuable commodity of revival the valuable commodity of influence that he's trying to pour out. No, we have to be vessels that are worthy of carrying what he's got. I don't want this to be a house of plungers. <laughs> I don't want the Father's house to be a place where we settle for the low call of God. I had a friend say one time after reading this scripture, he said, there's a high call, there's a low call but it's our call. Come on, I want all of us, every person here at the Father's house, I want us to live for the high call of God. And here's what I believe, I will prophesy with my eyes open. I believe that as we lay ourselves at the altar of God and we say, Jesus, you have all of me, I'm cleansing my life, I wanna be used for your glory that he will pour out miracles here in the Father's house, that he will awaken the Sunset District to his reality, that thousands of college students and families from all around this area will be saved and they will come pouring into the doors of the Father's house with their hands lifted and tears in their eyes because they are experiencing the love that they cannot find anywhere else in this city and the purpose they can't find at their job downtown or anywhere else in this region. They are looking for Jesus and he is looking for vessels that can house what he wants to do in our city. I want this to be a house of crystal. I want your life to be like crystal, something that God can entrust purpose to. Amen. Hey, thanks for taking the time to listen to the Father's House podcast. We hope it helped you wherever you're at in your journey. And listen, we want to pray with you if you're going through something right now that's difficult. You can go to our website, tfh.church and click on the prayer and praise link and tell us how to join you in prayer. Until next time, be blessed.